A very warm welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast, where your host, Paul D. Lowe, embraces many crucial conversations that compassionately contribute towards living a better life. Paul's intention is very simple, to help get people's inspirational messages and transformational stories out into the world so others may benefit. Thank you for tuning in. This is Tina Solanke from Soul from Soul Cosmetics from the Feel Fabulous uh, podcast show. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be in conversation with Paul Lowe. We're off to a great start, are we not? <clears throat> Frog in the throat already. Just proves <laughs> how authentic this this podcast is. But thank there you for go. inviting me, Hina. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so there's a slight twist on that, though, isn't there? Because we're actually probably an inappropriate metaphor. I don't really like this metaphor. I need to change it. But two birds with one stone. And I say two birds with one stone because not only is it your pa- uh, your podcast and Facebook, but I'm also recording it from my own perspective on Mastering the Game of Life podcast. So welcome to listeners uh, from Mastering the Game of Life. And as Hina said, Hina Solanke uh, will be joining us and we'll be talking around the topic of if I ruled the world, contribution would be key. So I suppose that now that I'm in the driving chair, Hina, well and truly, is to ask, what's your perception of contribution? Well, you know, I think what's my perception is to, to really help and just uh, do as much as you can to be there for each other um, in the, your communities, in your workplace, wherever you are. I don't, I really don't feel people, I think there's a lot of hate out there and I think there's a lot of discrimination. So for me, the one thing would be definitely um, to give back. Mm. Is, uh, and I suppose, and I speak from experience here, decades of experience, using yet again a metaphor of shadow boxing is it more important and i ask this as a question i don't offer it as a statement but is it more important to give effectively with the right reasons at a lower level or do we throw millions at something metaphorically because it makes us look good and i'm going into the sort of cause related marketing aspect there of Okay, you know, which is the good Samaritan parable, isn't it? Which is the greater, he or she that gives a penny because they've only got two, or he or she that gives millions, but they've got trillions. You know, there's that whole kind of what do we really focus on our, our giving on and why, more importantly? I, from, I think um, that's a really great question, actually. I think I don't think it, it matters where it comes from. I think it matters what we're doing with it um and you know it is everybody has a different bank balance so i don't think anybody should be criticized or discriminated for what their contributions are um i think it's the contribution in the first place which i think is the most important here you, you know if, if they say every little penny helps and i really do believe in that so collectively i do feel that everybody can play a part it doesn't matter how big or small Mm, absolutely. And that, for me, interestingly, I, I studied this at, uh, at a very high level years ago, um, cause-related marketing. And I, I came across, as part of my research, a very 
a very moral question in terms of contribution. And it was this, would you take money off a drug dealer or a drug baron to set up a hospital? Because on the surface of it, there is a totally polarized situation there. And it's a very, very moral dilemma, isn't it? Or maybe that's, it's not. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, oh, that's really good. Um, <laughs> wow. Gosh, I don't, I think I'd be stuck on that one. I really do. Because I feel, but then it depends what this, if this drug baron was changing their life because everybody deserves to be able you know a new chance so if that was their thing and that was them trying to turn things around or then contributing or having their conscious uh, suddenly kick in and they want to do their part then absolutely we you know everybody's everybody should be able to be forgiven depending on what they're doing i'm not saying every crime and everything should be forgiven but if they were to if they wanted a chance to turn things around and help society and help the community then i'd say yes then i would say yes mm. but it brings in that popular. it brings in that whole as i say moral dilemma of why are we actually giving and to use that shadow boxing you know where's our target what are we doing here are we giving effectively because I think we can all, I speak from, you know, experience here, um, giving help me was a massive part of my healing from, right. from my childhood, a massive part. Now, yeah. there's, a, there's a strong train of thought, I believe, that says that giving is essentially selfish. We do it for what it means to us. Um, and that was brought to me by one of, my, uh, one of my mentors, a guy called Richard Gerber, who's a world change expert. Mm -hmm. And then we, we recorded this short video. And this was not so long ago. And he was like, you know, he's a very unassuming, gentle guy. But he was quite sort of focused about this. And he said, let's be clear that whether we give a pound or whether we give a million or whatever we give, it's yeah. for selfish reasons at source. It's to make us feel good about mm -hmm. us. And he said, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's noble. That's great. But let's not fool ourselves that, you know, that kind of primary, secondary reason that we're doing it is for others. The benefit is for others after the benefit is for us and that feel good factor. So it just brings in. I think it's so important Hina, to to understand why we're actually giving. Yeah, that is a really that's a really good point. I, I think ultimately. Um, for me, and I know your history, and it is very similar. So for me, I overcame an illness, um, and I overcame uh, an extremely dark period of my life with an abusive relationship. And for me, once I'd come through it, and I, I it was for me, it was gratitude. I was so grateful, uh, and still am. Um, and I just want to help as much as I can. And I, and I know it's very similar to yourself. But yes, I suppose there is an element then, if we really question everything, why do I do my work at Soul Cosmetics? Why do I help people feel confident after trauma or something they've been through? Because I've been through that and yes, I know it feels amazing. So yes, if I make them feel amazing, I ultimately feel amazing. So yes, it's about me at that stage, I suppose that is selfish. And that's a really, really good point because and, and as you said, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that selfishness there, but it is ultimately to make, um, I suppose, myself feel great. And then I'm going to put out that energy and um, 
talent to somebody, to a patient. And what I personally like about that is it brings up focus into us as the individual. So, you know, we don't get kind of distracted. And, and I've personally spent decades about being distracted. You know, it's, it's so important for me to save the world. I mean, that was actually my focus for decades. Yeah. And, and I've brought that really close back to, to home now. Paul, you're only responsible for you. And one of the great insights that I picked up in more latter years was, I think it was Anne Lamott when she said, lighthouses don't go scouring the seas looking for boats to save. They stand there and they shine. And that's our responsibility, isn't it? As, as contributors, as givers, we stand there and shine. And, you know, hopefully they help, you know, the metaphoric boats in the stormy seas of life. Yes, yeah. I suppose going out and shining, so that's almost like talking about celebrities then. So they get a lot of knock for when they go out and they use their platform to help people. Um, but why not? You know, so yes, mm. they're shining and now it's making um, use of their position and their status and the platform they're on to make a difference. Um, but they still get haters, you know, haters for it. Um, so I suppose that's kind of similar. Mm. Yeah, I mean, certainly the conclusion I came to when I did this study, what, way back in 2003, um, was, you know, and I use the major corporates in the UK as examples. Uh, we shan't mention any, any brand names, but, you know, where they have a budget of millions and millions to do good stuff. And the question was, are they cynical marketeers? Oh, it looks like we're dropping. Yeah, are we? Oh, no, we're both back. We're both back. Um, yeah. yeah. So I don't know how much we lost there. Um, I was on about when in a few years ago, 2003, my studies were around some of the major corporates. Um, and I did name them in, in my thesis uh, in the UK, major brands. And the question was, are they genuinely good, good caring companies or are they cynical marketeers? And I put that out to a mass survey. And what came back was it was almost straight down the middle, oh. straight down the middle. So, yeah, I mean, it's I think the, the conclusion was you pay your money, you take your choice. Yeah, I, I imagine it starts from the beginning. You know, it starts from them just ultimately being the best marketeers and then growing to a certain um, level that they then feel, OK, we as a corporate company now need to give back and 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 let's say the philanthropy sort of kicks in and they re realize that they have to, they, they're obliged to do something really mm, yeah absolutely yeah there's that perception isn't there as community leaders you know major brands that they are at the forefront of you know let's use a supermarket chain which shall be nameless um <laughs> because there's several out there so we could pick any from probably 10 um, but when you go in there, you think, well, I'm not just going in there to buy some bread and milk. I'm expecting that these are major players within my community. And so they will be, I don't know, sponsoring school dinners or, or whatever it is they're doing. Yeah. yeah. So that's where I come up with the conclusion on that 50-50 feedback of you pays your money, you take your choice. Are they good eggs or are they just cynical marketeers? It's up to you. You decide. Yeah. Yeah. That's a... Uh... Oh, yeah. I think there's a, you know, there's so, okay, so let's say uh, charity uh, platforms that you donate on. 
So they have to market, you know, and people don't like that. They have to market their company. They spend obviously millions on their marketing, but they also achieve millions and millions and millions to go to go out back into charity. So there's mm -hmm. got to be an element of marketing, I think, in absolutely everything. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. But I think, yeah, again, it, um, there's an American quality group called Tom Peters. And Tom Peters came up with this this slogan for uh, quality management. And, and, and mm -hmm. it's the best one I've ever heard. And his take upon quality, whether it's processes or people, is perception is all there is. Yeah. Perception is all there is. Because simple pencil. Is that a good pencil? Ten people in a room could say yes, no, whatever. You know, invariably, people may or may not agree because it's all subjective, isn't it? It's what yes, people yeah. actually think about something. And this is where I suppose to coin that Americanism. It's about winning the hearts and minds of the consumer, isn't it? In, absolutely. In this uh, context. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What's, um, what's your opinion on that, though? What my personal opinion? Yeah, let's say that back to you. That's because I think that's a really good subject. Yeah, most, note to self: do not ask controversial questions because they'll get turned back upon you. Um, <laughs> mine is I are on the side of cynical marketing. Oh. Yeah, um, and the reason I say that is not so much from corporate donations, but from more charitable donations. And there was an organization that I was involved with in 1999 and I was running, I'd set up a charity then, I was running a charity and um, we donated from through this charity something very significant to the community. I'll keep it vague because I don't want to embarrass the organization, even though it was 20 odd years, 21 years ago. And one of the um, sponsors of the charity at the time came to me and they were putting semi-significant money into, into the charity. And he came to me and he said, right, you need to stop this because if you don't, we won't sponsor your charity anymore. And this was a close friend from, from, from school that had become an immensely successful businessman, uh, was putting thousands into the charity. And I said, right. well, what's the problem? And he said, have you seen their annual report? And in those days, I mean, I was just pure heart. And I've got no awareness of things like annual reports. Like, what's an annual report? Yeah. And he, and he, him being the astute businessman he was, I mean, he went through things with a fine tooth comb. And he said, 5% of what's, what's donated actually goes to the sharp end. 5%. The other 95 gets lost in administration, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That was a real eye opener for me. So yeah. that's why I know mainly uh, previously we was talking around the corporate almost supermarket, dare I say, thread. But this whole holistic picture of giving and why do we give? When we put it in a wider context of and you've asked me that question, that's why I give the answer I do, because you know, the 95% rule, as I've, as I've since called it, for me, yeah. is, is, is not acceptable. Yeah, gosh. For yeah, me that's... personally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, there are some that are coming through now, aren't there? Some different platforms where they're saying that, you know, that 100% will go to the charity. But it's how effective and how well manned they are. That's the problem. 
Yeah, and uh, and obviously in present day challenges, external global challenges. I mean, that's you know, it's it's becoming almost impossible. I would say almost yeah. impossible because unless you've got people within a charitable organisation that are totally just committed to just give, 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 then you know. Even in an organization that recently I formed that I'm involved with, um, there's, there's this kind of quandary of, you know, with global aspirations, that's going to take resources, that's going to take a chief executive, which obviously yeah. incurs a salary. So, you know, I know there's ways of where that's put in the uh, in the spreadsheet, in the financial accounting. But ultimately, if you know, if a guy or a girl for that matter is paid, I don't know, 200 250k yeah um one would argue that okay you're paying him or her for their expertise their contacts their little black book their experience fair comment that is a fair yeah. comment where would you yeah. be without that the other side of that coin is well you could do a lot of you can do a lot of giving with 250,000 as well so yeah again i don't think there's a right or there's a wrong as there isn't on a micro level with you and I giving, say, I don't know, a euro or a pound in the street in a shaky tin to take it to the other extreme. I think the principle is the same for me. Why are you giving? Why? And mm -hmm. that's that's crucial for me because and that's maybe you know, influenced by the work I do as a mentor that I'm always interested in why people not so much what people do, but why are you doing that? You know, what yeah. needs? What needs are you meeting there? Which nicely brings us in, doesn't it, to Robbins's model of the six human needs and the highest one being, coincidentally, contribution. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I'm just, I mean, that, that just begs the question then, you know, is contribution, and I'd love to have a personal conversation with Tony Robbins and challenge him on this. All right. Is, contribution the highest human need is it mm, i wonder mm, I, oh, I don't know if it, i don't think it'd be the one of the highest needs contribution no i don't think it would i think people i unfortunately people are, i think that they're probably awesome people are becoming more um more giving and i think especially in current times things have changed an awful lot and I think uh, the awareness of mental health, I think the amount of suicides that have come from that, I think the I think things are changing now a little bit. But do I think contribution is number one in people's minds? I don't know. I don't know. I think I question that whether I think it would be the top of the list. Um, yeah, that'd be an interest. That'd be very interesting to know. But I bet you have the fact, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've got a. I wouldn't say an opinion, but I mean, I've, I've done a lot of work around Robbins' uh, six human needs model. And, it, and, and in my humble opinion, it's a phenomenal model. So it might be worth, you know, just for having a quick whistle stop for the benefit of our listeners here, just in, for those that are not aware of the six human needs model, because I think it's, yeah. it's certainly worth taking five minutes out to share because, you know, yes, as you alluded to at the top of this conversation, you and I have had um extreme challenges in the early stages of our life and mm -hmm. when i look at my own in terms of the six human needs uh, and, and i'll share those and i'll put them in context so what robbins talks about is is there's four basic needs 
and then there's two more higher level spiritual needs and mm -hmm. the latter cannot be met until the four basic core needs are in place and those four core needs are the need for certainty are the need for uncertainty mm -hmm. so there's a kind of there's like a set of scales on the one side we've got certainty then we've got uncertainty some people call that variety right then we've got another set of scales so that's needs one and two three and four are represented by the need for significance right yeah but on the other side of that scale is the need for love and connection so we've got certainty uncertainty significance love and connection so yeah. they're the four basics then we move up into the two higher spiritual needs the fifth one is the need for growth and it, and his particular adage on that is if we're not growing by definition we're dying now i don't yeah. buy that I, I don't particularly resonate with that but I, I understand where he's coming from yeah and that's where then when all those needs are met the pinnacle of the human needs is actually the need for contribution but we can't meet those two higher spiritual needs for growth and contribution until we've met those foundation level needs of certainty uncertainty yeah. significance love and connection depending what level they're important within our own world yeah that's that's really good i think that kind of almost um it's almost so similar to earlier when i was talking about the corporate company and you were saying the cynical marketing or you know marketer but once they've grown so that you know they've got to get all those foundations right then they get to a certain level they become a much larger corporation and then they're going to give back so i suppose that's almost very similar if you could you know if we direct it in that way so they've had to do their base uh, basic um a sort of setting up foundation getting through growing bigger so where now so they've become a bigger player um you know within society in their community so they now have to contribute back yeah and if we can bring that back to a, a real micro level again and sort of um you know share with our listeners that you know whatever the challenges are maybe we can short circuit that whole process and go straight to the top maybe if we conceptualize i, I like to work in conceptualization so mm -hmm. i think of maslow's hierarchy triangle where at the top we've got the self-actualization because maybe robbins's take on contribution is actually a parallel word for self-actualization i feel whole mm -hmm. i feel complete I feel yeah. so good about my life, not yeah. only just from an inner point of view, but externally as well, because I'm giving. Maybe, and this is a question, not a suggestion, we can short circuit that whole process by saying or understanding or accepting that the number one person that we need to give to first, that we need to contribute to first, is ourselves. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I totally agree with that completely i think you've got uh, i was wondering where that was going to go and then i was going to bring it down to oneself because i think you've got to go through certain amounts yourself you've got to uh, you know you've just got to feel whole within yourself haven't you yeah yeah, yeah. which br which brings in i think another fascinating conversation about yeah you've heard that adage i'm sure Hina. you cannot give what you do not have I'd be really interested in your, your personal thoughts on that. You do not give what you do not have. Or you can't give what you don't have. You um, can't give. Yeah, yeah, you can't give what you don't have. 
I think, um, but then could you give out love even if you don't have love? Yes, you can. Yeah. Um, although it takes a different, you know, it it might not come from the same place or, or the deep from the soul, but it is possible. Um, or you could try. Uh, I think it's impossible to try and create certain things around you or you know be in communities when you actually haven't got it together yourself you know I think there's a lot of you've got to work on yourself first before you can actually um give out fully yeah absolutely I agree with that so I'm really interested in this this kind of love's concept and giving being able to give love because isn't it true and I've, I've got a, a sort of um I'll open this up a little bit, but isn't it true that if we are, we haven't got self-love, self-respect, self-esteem, call it what you will, but if we haven't got that, how can we give it? Yeah. If I, yeah. if you know, if I can be allowed to use the example of you and I, if I, I'm so angry, frustrated, in a dark place, how can I give love to you, Hina, in whatever dynamic our partnership is? Because I haven't got it. Yeah. I can't give it to myself. So yeah. to put that in sort of simple financial terms, if I've got a purse or a wallet and there's nothing in it, yes, yeah, I've got nothing to give. Or if I yeah. try and give stuff that I can't give, I'm, you know, I use this example. I think this is a great one. So let's concentrate. Let's use your thread of love then, and let's put it in a relationship context. Mm -hmm. So what I often say to people is this. So, so you're in a partnership. So let's put a pound each into our joint account. Yeah. And then we're, so we've got two. And then let's put two pound in. Anyway, we get it to 100 pounds. So we've got a joint financial account and we've both put 50-50 in. We've now got 100 pounds in that account. Now, that's easy because we've got a bank statement that says Paul and Hina's account, 100 pounds. Great. Okay. So for me, what most people go into a relationship for what they can take out of it. I think very few people actually go to then reinvest in that mm -hmm. bank account and keep it building on compounding emotional interest. If, you know, the risk of splitting metaphors. People go to take out of the relationship what's in it for me rather than investing in it what's in it for us. Yeah. So I use that example of finance. Okay, so imagine we've got an account and there's 100 pounds in it. You or I then, because we're joint signatures, we go into that account. Yeah. Not only do we draw that hundred pound out for our individual need, but we go into the overdraft. Oh dear! Because uh, this happens. This is a real metaphor for life. Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden, the bank manager rings one of us up and says, um, "Do you know, guys? Uh, do you know your accounts are um, overdrawn and you're accruing interest?" Well, no, I didn't know. Why? Why? The other half's put, uh, drawn that out we then become financially bankrupt. So the same principle applies, does it not, emotionally. So I create something that's in, in, a, yeah. in a relationship called a, a love box. So mm -hmm. that becomes our emotional account that we invest in, that we invest in, that we invest in. We keep giving to, because if there's nothing in there, we are emotionally bankrupt, which then yeah. leads to divorce, separation, etc., etc. Now, for me, the whole point in bringing this right back to the beginning of the question, you know, about, you know, can we give what we do not have? I think there's every every case is contextual. It's a different answer. 
I think in an emotional sense, no, we can't. No. In a financial sense, yes, we can. Because I've actually done both. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was a brilliant analogy, by the way, because yes, you could, because you could then go into the red. Um, can you give somebody the same move? Lots of people have this face and they play, they have an act and they, you know, it's not a good thing, but they can do it. So they put out love. But really, there's deep sadness in with, within. Um, so they are playing a little thing. It won't last long because things like that don't last for very long and they soon come to the surface. So, yes, that person would then have to work on themselves, look inwards, um, self-care, nourish, like you said, put into that bank account. Now invest in yourself. Um, so definitely there would be um, self-care, whether it be through different uh, methods of relaxation, peacefulness, mindfulness, um, and really just connecting with oneself um, to then be able to do it, to give it back out without that mask. Yeah, and I love that word mask because it's interesting that at this, this moment in time, I've been asked, been honored to, to have been asked to write a chapter in a, in a book around suicide. Oh. And and I'm putting that um, I'm putting that together as we speak, and within that um, that journey, sharing that journey is this concept, and it's far more than a concept called the inner child, mm. and it's investing in our own inner child. And I don't care personally what stage we're at, how wealthy we feel we are emotionally or spiritually, that acknowledgement of the inner child is key. Uh, you're back, we're both back. Yeah, inner child is key. Yeah, um, you know, it's a constant, it's so, so much an integral part of us that, and, and I certainly forgot mine for decades until it was pointed out to me, well, Paul, why are you, you know, why is your sort of, your anger repeating itself? Why is this, why is that? You know, the habits that you're in, why? Yeah. yeah. Because your inner child's reminding you that he is not healed. He's still carrying all that trauma and all that anguish and that hurt from childhood. And it's about yeah. taking that, that little boy or that little girl back on side and saying, do you know what? You are loved. You are cared. And, yeah. you know, I think that can be a particularly tough concept uh, for people to embrace, especially, dare I say, people that are in more masculine energy. I won't necessarily stereotypically say guys. But, yeah. you know, for those that are in masculine energy, it's like, well, what are you talking about all that silly, fluffy stuff for? Yeah. I don't get any child and, but, you know. Yeah, that's, uh, a, that's, that's kind of, sorry to interrupt you there, that's like a really old-fashioned mindset, isn't it? That's still around. Um, and I, I, I do feel that, you know, something needs addressing because everybody should be able to be as open as they can and not feel they have to, put on that mask for any reason. Mm, okay, so yeah, the inner child. I think the main thing is around the inner child is that is that awareness that he or she is such an integral part of, of who we are and not to forget that. And we do forget that because, well, we just do because to use another cliche, life gets in the way and we, we get that sort of focused on the the everyday minutiae of what we think's important, oh, I've got bills to pay, and oh, I didn't get the milk from the shop, or whatever, it, all this stuff that kind of <laughs> dominates our life, and mm -hmm. the poor little child just gets lost and forgotten. 
and yeah. he or she, you know, even going back to childhood, you know, a crossword, a cross action from whoever that's not dealt with. Yeah. And why would it be dealt with? Because at that age, we haven't got the wherewithal, the knowledge about, well, okay, so as a three-year-old, my mother's just shouted at me. Okay, what do I do here then? Um, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll process that situation. I'll deliver it. Yeah. And then I'll release that negative energy. That's what I'll do. Not from a three-year-old, you won't, because it's adults that don't even do that. Yeah. So I think this, this whole thing isn't the around raising that, you know, raising the awareness about who we really are. And that, for me, is the essence of contribution, contributing to ourselves, you know, so that we have got something very, very, very significant to give, no yeah. matter what the context is, whether it's financially, whether it's emotionally, whether it's spiritually, mentally, physically, it doesn't matter what the dynamic is. No, it doesn't. But by, by us nurturing, loving, caring for our inner child and helping him or her heal from past traumas, okay, now I'm starting to feel holistic. Now I'm starting to feel as if I have more and I want to give. And yes, there are still a lot of dark things in the world, mm -hmm. but now I have a better choice in terms of how I see that. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the beauty and the power of the inner child. Or should I say the forgotten inner child? The forgotten inner child, but also growth and wisdom. And, you know, obviously we go through life, don't we? And we do learn. Um, I can honestly say that I'm more in touch. In the last two years, I've been the most in touch with my inner child than I ever have been. And it's such an amazing place to be. Really amazing. Um, so I think it's, it's just time can get you there depending on what you've gone through there's a lot of um i don't want to say repair work but there's lots to look at there's lots to condition lots to nurture to get you back to that place um and funny enough yesterday i recorded my audiobook and one of the chapters is about ego um and i can almost relate this um back to the child and something i talk about is you know the little child doesn't have that kind of ego. It's something we learn as we grow older from uh, from things around us and and influences and that just ha affect have that effect on our brain and our conditioning, mind conditioning. Absolutely, and I mean, I, I do think absolutely think. And uh, I mentioned Richard Gerver earlier on in our conversation, and Richard, as I've said, you know, he operates on a world stage, and he's a former head teacher. Mm -hmm. worked with primary school uh, children in um, in sort of part of the world that I came from originally Nottingham in the uh, in England and when I met Richard he was he massively got something different about him and, and as I got to know him over the years it's like and I said to him one day I said you know what Richard being with you it's like being with a child and he said you know what Paul that's the biggest compliment you could ever pay me because yeah. his work is is around that childlike enthusiasm, that childlike curiosity, be a child. And he's actually gone on record as saying, when you look at all the eminent practitioners in the world, you know, the real high level movers and shakers, the one common trait they have is that childlike curiosity. They don't understand what most humans term failure, 
And he uses the example of building blocks. And so you build yeah. some, you know, playing with these building blocks and somebody will come acro across and, and knock them over. Yeah. And most people would react in, a, in an adverse, what have you done that for, angry? And it's took me hours to do that. How dare you? And it's like, not a child. It's like, okay, let's build the blocks again. Yeah. Maybe a different way. That childlike curiosity of looking at things. I won't use that sort of overused term of, you know, thinking outside the box, which ironically I just have done. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is. I, yeah. It's that letting go, isn't it? I can remember having a conversation with um, another eminent practitioner about the three most important words in the world. And he offered let it go. Ah, oh, one of my favorite words. Uh, phrases let it go I always say let it go and let God that's my thing that's one of my yeah. biggest affirmations um, yeah. definitely just going back to what you said though about you know um, knowing really successful people but that's also a trait of a successful entrepreneur isn't it that they always mm -hmm. do think outside the box and they always maybe do look at things they're always inquisitive but because of their inquisitive minds they're able to come up with solutions and ideas in different ways yeah, and yeah, again, going back to the example we use or the insight into the six human needs model, you know, the certainty. Well, if we stick with certainty, we're always going to get what we always got. Yes. The new pots of gold are going to be found in areas of uncertain and they're uncertain because nobody's been there before. Yes. So but if you have the courage to go there, peel back, take the mask off, call it what you will and have a look. If you dare... Who knows what you might find? Who I love knows? That. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I love that. that that's a really way, a brilliant way of actually explaining it and understanding it. That's it. And, and that's also letting go of fear because that is yeah. uncertainty anyway. So if you're, you've got to let go of you, you've got of fear to be able to go forward and then find hidden treasures. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what we've done here, Hina, is, um, you know, as as listeners, you know that, you know, when when guests come on the Mastering the Game of Life podcast, there is no agenda. It is a conversation. And I use the term two mates at the bar because that's how I approach it. And, um, you know, I think this has been well, I hope you feel it's been another example of that, that the energy, the insights, the share, the dance that's took place between Hina and I has been, as a bare minimum, very useful. Has it been uncertain? Well, you decide that. That's Hina and I's certainty that we're going to let you decide whether it's been uncertain or not. And uh, what I'd like to do, Hina, uh, on the strength of sort of this, dare I say, this first dance is, is explore not only this topic of contribution, because what a broad first meeting does with a guest invariably is it, it opens up a whole new realm of discussion points. Yes. You know, it starts from a very broad platform, but there's a million other insights to be shared, and obviously in the confines of time. And what is time, after all, if not a man-made construct? Or should I say a person-made construct in this politically correct world we live in but i'd like to invite you back and i'd like i'd like to explore other avenues and, and have other conversations about you know what is success for example yeah you know, the entrepreneur well what is success let's go back to that parable listeners of the good samaritan who is deemed the better he or she that donates a pound but they've only got two 
or he or she that donates a million, but that's okay because they've got trillions anyway. Yeah, yeah again, you pays your money, you takes your choice. Brilliant. Lots so, to talk about. I think we've we've planted lots of seeds there. Yeah, so I'd like to invite you to to close in by as I do with guests always, by sort of saying, leave us with one pearl of wisdom preferably focused around contribution. So I always use this example, as listeners know, of the elevator. So I've just met you in a hotel reception. Mm -hmm. We're going in the lift. We're in the lift for 30 seconds. And my question to you, just as we go in, Ina, by the time we get to the next level in 30 seconds time, tell me, leave me with one powerful message because I may never see you again. But tell me what your powerful thoughts, ideas, messages around contribution never be afraid to shine your light it will help others and it will shine upon others wow thanks very much for listening to this mastering the game of life podcast episode hopefully you found it interesting and helpful drop a line to paul at paul-low.com with any thoughts or questions you may have and he'll be more than happy to respond Remember, the game's ever-changing. How will you master it?